Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to The Tonight Show. Well, chaos over calculated grades as government insists none of the estimated 6,500 students impacted will lose out. We'll have reaction from principal and broadcaster Colin O'Rourke in just a few minutes. And experts warn the window for COVID-19 not to become a national issue is closing fast. And there is no end in sight yet for Dublin restrictions. On our first panel tonight, I'm joined by Chief Executive of the HSE, Paul Reid. And later in the programme, as further job losses loom, former rugby international Tommy Bow meets businesses across Ireland trying to adapt to our new normal. Do get in touch on Twitter. Our hashtag, as always, is tonight VMTV. But first, here's Caroline Tuhig with the news. Thanks, Kira. Good evening. The government is facing a fresh crisis tonight after the Leaving Cert calculated grade system was thrown into chaos. The coding system used to calculate grades was found to have made errors, meaning that more than 6,000 students may now have their grades increased. The Education Minister today said the errors happened in the software that was used to implement the standardisation process. A number of independent reviews are now underway, with the affected students being contacted by text. Public health officials today confirmed one further COVID-19 related death and 429 new cases in Ireland. Of those cases, 189 are in Dublin, 60 are in Cork with 31 in Donegal and 28 cases in Galway. Earlier today, the acting CMO said that significant improvements need to be seen in the country's capital for it to emerge from level three restrictions. The measures that were put in place last Friday week for Dublin would only be beginning to take effect yesterday, today, tomorrow. But we do need to see significant improvement over the coming days in Dublin. We've not seen it yet. It's had enough time to stabilise. We need to see that over the next few days. And if that doesn't happen, we need to keep going with the messaging. We need everybody on board. Uh, This isn't easy. And the U.S. Presidential Debates Commission has said it will introduce extra measures to maintain order at the next presidential debate. It follows the first debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden being described as the calamity in Cleveland. The 90-minute showdown last night saw continuous interruptions and insults. The U.S. president is today being criticised for failing to fully condemn white supremacists during the debate. The next head-to-head will take place in Utah on the 6th of October. Those are the late news headlines. Back to you, Kira, in studio. Thanks, Caroline. Well, around 6,500 students have been impacted by two errors in the calculated grade system, with students receiving a grade lower 
than they should have. The government are promising that no student will be disadvantaged. We're joined now by Colm O'Rourke, Principal of St Patrick's Classical School in Navan, columnist and sports broadcaster. Good evening to you, Colm. You called this calculated grade system shambolic long in advance of these errors being discovered. What's your reaction this evening? Well, it's just another monumental cock-up and uh, I suppose it adds to the shambles that I was saying that was going to happen from day one when I was saying don't cancel the leaving cert until you have something else in its place. It's a bit ironic now that we have 30 people in classrooms, 30 students where we couldn't put four or five to do leaving certs and uh, school is not going to be cancelled under any circumstances. So I would say if they got the chance again, Certainly, the Leaving Cert would look like a good bet, but I don't know how the government or the Minister for Education, who have great sympathy for landing in this mess, how they can say that nobody's going to be disadvantaged when uh, a lot of the college courses, especially at the top end, are already full and the colleges are saying they can't take any more. So uh, you cannot give that guarantee to students because some of them obviously are going to have to defer if they qualify for some of those courses with high points and they're already full. How do you think the students are feeling this evening? We know around 60,000 of them did their leaving cert, but at the moment, 6,500 have been affected by this. We don't know who those 6,500 are. No, well, there's a huge amount of anger out there among students and on the, their parents' behalf as well. And of course, everybody's wondering who it is. And it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for this process to be ironed out. So the, the, the anger and annoyance is going to be there. Now, of course, a lot of people, they don't mind what happens because they are already got their course uh, of choice. And quite a few are only going to do apprenticeships and more power to those who have chosen that route. I think it needs to, to be improved. And that's the way forward for a lot of young people. But of course, there is a small minority who are affected and who are waiting on maybe one or two or three points, which would have brought them into their first choice course. And you can imagine the upset they're going to feel if they find that when these, this algorithm is corrected. I don't know how the algorithm even worked anywhere, because all I saw in my school and from talking to other principals is that a blunt instrument seemed to be used where anybody below 93 dropped from a H1 to a H2, anybody below 83 dropped from a H2 to a H3 and so on down the line. So I don't know how this algorithm worked. Certainly hadn't much pop on in the way it, it worked. And, and the biggest issue now hanging around the whole system is not just this, but the high court case, which is going to be taken by people who are downgraded, who have seen their marks given by teachers, now find that they have been downgraded and if they were left at the teacher's mark, they would have got into college courses. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be explained by the Department of Education on what objective criteria uh, that those students were downgraded. That's the elephant, the real, real elephant yeah. in the room uh, because there's about 12,000 12, involved in that. Yeah, you said there, there's a real lack of cop on here. One word, do you have faith in this government to fix this? Well, I don't think the, the problem is the government. I think the whole thing was a mess from start to finish and the way it was introduced. I don't think anybody different could have done anything about it. And I have the height of sympathy for the people in the department because 
when they're dealing when I'm dealing with them and any queries are dealt with with courtesy and patience. So it's an intolerable situation for them to be placed under. They brought in a system which was untried and untested for Irish conditions. They should never have dropped school profiling because that would have brought a bit of sense to the system. And instead of that, at the eleventh hour, they changed the rules, and this is what we get. All right, we have to leave it there, Colm. As always, thank you for your time. Thank you. Well, Chief Executive of the HSE, Paul Reid, is with us here in studio. Thank you for coming in, as okay. always. You've spoken a lot, Paul, about the impact that COVID-19 has had on our young people. Disproportionate impact, some might say. Mm. What do you make of that calculated grades error that we heard of today? Well, obviously, it's a matter of the Department of Education are working through. But as you said, COVID has presented a really awful year for young people and students in particular. Uh, the uncertainty around the Leaving Cert itself uh, and obviously your heart goes out to them uh, this evening just around this thing but I'm sure everybody's working really hard to resolve it but it has been a really difficult year for, for young people overall. Some might say the last thing they needed right now. Yeah, well I think overall and it comes back to the point which I've been making over the last couple of days we have to be very careful about stigmatising young people and calling things out because they've had a very difficult year and a range of issues and um you know, my, my heart certainly goes out them. But look, everybody's working to resolve this issue, I'm sure, and there will be a way found out. And we know Nevid were in front of the COVID committee uh, today and we heard Dr Ronan Glynn saying there that the window of opportunity for bringing COVID-19 under control is now closing. And he also said that we're not seeing the stabilisation in Dublin that we would hope to see 11 days into level three restrictions. How concerned are you about that? Yeah, well, I kind of like to see it that the window of opportunity is still half open and there's still plenty of time for us all to make a difference. And certainly the trends are concerning. We're seeing in the last five days, 345 cases on average per day. Early July was about 20 cases per day. Uh, positivity rate is increasing. Dublin's about three to four times higher than the rest of the country. Uh, but I think we have to move from seeing it for what happens in the next three days or the next weekend or the next week. It is really about readjusting how we're living our lives and living in a very different way over a sustainable period of time. Because as true as night follows day, a vaccine will emerge over time. The uncertainty is we don't know when. But is that readjusting that you're talking about happening? Yeah, it is. I mean, if you look what Irish society has done in the last seven months of this virus, uh, we've made a big difference. We've made a big impact in terms of how it could impact it on our hospitals and our hospital system in the first phase of this. Uh, so, and yet cases are not stabilising. That's what they're saying. So yeah. there's, on one side, it appears to be, you know, the majority of people are doing the right thing. We are readjusting the behaviour. On the other side, we're not seeing a huge improvement in the case numbers. So what's going wrong? You know, th those two things don't fit. Yeah, I think it's a big alarming message for us all. The virus is transmitting very quickly. Uh, it's transmitting very quickly and particularly where people congregate in settings and there's some great examples of where it's emerged uh, across people just in social gatherings uh, and certainly not just in, in big younger gatherings that we've seen in Cork and Galway and it does highly transmit in those circumstances as well but equally if you know a person's having a 50th birthday party and it might be a table of 12 we've seen cases where eight people at that table will be can be tested as positive so it is about completely readjusting how we meet people when we meet people uh, and even within our own homes, you know, mm. people may socially gather outside, but it comes back and transmits very quickly in the home. 
but we know that and we've mm. heard that time and time again and you've given the messages and you've given the warnings. People around the country can see what happened in Donegal, what's happening in Dublin and many other counties teetering on this sort of level three. And yet, I go back to that same point, why is the message not getting through to perhaps just a small cohort of people, but enough, enough to create the surge in figures so that everybody else basically has to suffer? Yeah, because we're at a much more challenging phase of it now. The first phase was very clear, was black or white, it was lockdown. And uh, now it's a much more complex phase because we want to keep society open. We want to keep uh, the economy open. And certainly from my perspective, I want to keep the health service open. So we're trying to keep all of it open at the same time saying to people, how you mix, how you congregate, how you plan to meet people. We have to do it very differently. Would stronger enforcement of the regulations allow the health service to do its job better? Uh, no, I think the way we've done this so far and so to date has been about galvanising the public, about getting the public behind us, about getting that kind of metal spirit uh, of people all working together. Now, it is more difficult. And the one thing I would say is we really have to be careful about stigmatising, you know, because if you see what's happened in the last few weeks and months, there's, there's one or two things that frustrate me, actually. It's kind of becomes a bit of a pointing finger or a blame that is it caused from travel or is it caused from meat plants? Or is it caused from direct provisioning centres? Or is it caused from schools? The reality is it's brought into those settings from the community. So it's really about what we do and how we live in the community is the big adjustment we have to make. But did you not say uh, earlier this week, we do need to call out bad behaviour that does have an impact on numbers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need to call out because the virus doesn't distinguish. It transmits in crowds. I mean, young crowds, like we saw this week, are gathering and are shouting and are talking. It transmits hugely. And they can bring that back into their family and transmit again through their family. So that does. But it's not just about younger people. And it's not just about meat plants or, or direct vision centres. It's about all of us and how we interact and engage in community now. Yeah. Um, how concerned are you about trying to keep the non-COVID side of our health service running? I mean, we saw reports in the papers at the weekend of Tala Hospital closing down some of its theatres, clearly having to cancel some elective surgeries to try and make space for acute beds or for this potential surge in COVID-19. Is it actually going to be possible to keep both running uh, in parallel? And is there a danger that if we focus just on dealing with COVID-19, it is going to be the ex to the expense of other quite serious health issues? Yes, we, we would be very concerned to make sure that we keep all our services opening through winter. We've had good support from government. We've had a 600 million euro investment for the winter period to support us keeping both COVID and non-COVID services functioning going. And that's really important for us. There is a concerning trend, which I've reflected on just over the last week or so, is we now have tonight, actually, 121 people, positive cases in hospital, and 22 people in ICU. Now that's much lower than relative where it was at the peak, but each one of those positive cases now can have an impact on our wards, can have an impact on elective case here, because sometimes we have to freeze wards, close wards down. At a time now where we've all our services open, so while we had higher numbers at the peak, we hadn't got the rest of our non-origin care open. Now we do, and we want to keep them all open. So what's the capacity tonight in our ICU? Uh, we've about just short of 40 ICU beds overall, uh, free, available across our system. Uh, we always monitor that. We're carefully monitoring it. Uh, we've brought our total ICU capacity at the start of this pandemic. It was about 225. We're at 280 staffed and manned beds now, right now. 
uh, we'll bring another further, which is about 25% increase. We'll bring another 17 on as part of our winter plan investment. When but do you expect those 17 to be up and open and functioning and staffed? Yeah, there are investments that we're bringing through both between quarter four of this year and quarter one of this year. So it's another 17 beds. But so it could go into January, February, March, perhaps? It will, but we all... think, before we get those extra 17 ACU beds? Yeah, but we also, just to say, we also have demonstrated, our ICU consultants have done a fabulous job in the first phase, where we have got it up to 350 uh, beds, which is storage capacity. But that too can impact on preoperative beds, high dependency on the beds that we want to keep. Uh, for another service. So my only point on the numbers right now is it's it's not uh, knocking over the hospital system, but every single positive case has an impact. Uh, so we want to stop the trend that's happening. I just want to ask you about the flu vaccine because um, I think you said earlier in the week it would be unconscionable for healthcare workers not to take up the flu vaccine. And yet, if you look at the winter plan, they said they're really the aim, the realistic aim was that 75% of healthcare workers would get um, the flu vaccine, nowhere near um, clearly what you would like, which is somewhere closer to 100%. Mm. Why not, in these unprecedented, extraordinary times, just make it mandatory, with obvious exceptions? Yeah, I'll just say firstly, the 75% target is actually a WHO uh, target direction. Last year, we were about 60%, and there's a huge variance across the health system. Some healthcare settings at 100% and 90-odd percent, mm. and some settings much lower. And therefore, if some healthcare settings are at 100%, then mm. it is possible Absolutely. to get 100%, you think, in the other healthcare settings. So why not just make that the target, notwithstanding what the WHO say? Yeah, so that's exactly what I want to see happening with rare exceptions, and there are rare exceptions. I want to see a massive uptake, as close to 100% as we can get it this year. That's what I want, because we have said, this is a year like no other year, and for healthcare workers, in terms of protecting themselves and protecting the patients and protecting the public, we really need all healthcare staff to So why to not it make up. it mandatory? Well, there's two, I'll tell you what we have done. You can make it mandatory through legislation, which will take longer. Uh, or you can do a risk assessment, which we've done with our service managers. And once the risk says the healthcare worker should take it up, then the obligation is on the healthcare worker to take it up. But look, I think we've really good support behind us. The trade unions have been very supportive. Mm. Uh, and I, I really want to see it really up as close as we can get it to 100%. Um, one of the other, I suppose, massive areas um, under your remit is uh, testing and tracing and isolating. I'm just wondering how many of those who work within the HSC, whether they be corporate staff or whether they be, you know, occupational therapists perhaps or speech and language therapists or physiotherapists have been deployed into testing and tracing at the moment. Yeah, there's been, we've relied significantly in the early phases of redeployment of uh, health care professionals uh, who've done. The good news is we're in a recruitment campaign right now, which is aimed to relieve those people back. We, in but terms how many, can you just tell me, is there a figure of how many have been redeployed? It has varied. I, I can't give you the exact figure today, but it has varied significantly at the start of the phase. Uh, we begin to run, uh, going to redeploy people back. We will be recruiting uh, 500 people in terms of contact tracing and 700 people in terms of swabbing. And that is to, first of all, increase the numbers of people we have on it, but also to redeploy those healthcare professionals back to where we need them. And that's going to happen next week alone. How we many have, are you taking on next week? Yeah, next week we have now passed, we've just clearing through Garda clearance, uh, about 280 swabbers, almost 300 swabbers, and 100 people in contact tracing. So they will all start 
over the course of next week and 10 but days once we get them through clearance. At what point do you expect these really important frontline staff? I mean, you have children in this country who can't get speech and language therapy, who can't get physiotherapy, whose lives are going to be really badly impacted by the lack of these really important services because they're being deployed elsewhere, testing and tracing, and again, focusing on COVID-19. When are they all going to be back doing the job that they need to do? Yeah, and again... Some have been redeployed and some of those services have been stepped up. I fully accept we have to get the rest of those people back. That's exactly what we want to do over the coming weeks. It's part of our winter plan. It's part of our recruitment plan to get all services back, to redeploy people back and get extra people on those functions as well. Okay, one other thing that you've spoken about, I suppose, is the very serious mental health impacts that COVID-19, what do you think those impacts are going to be? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do have a concern. I mean, the impacts of lockdown have, have really hurt society. It's really hurt the economy. It's really hurt the health service. Um, we're seeing uh, some people come back to the health service with high anxiety levels, high stress levels, uh, mental health issues. Uh, and if you hear some of our consultants um, talk about some of the elderly people that they're seeing again, and, and it, it really and is no a mention of it in this winter plan. I know, but it's just a thing with the winter plan is about managing some services through it. We also have a very significant investment to see us through the rest of this year, and we will be putting forward a case for investment in other services throughout next year as well. So, All right, we'll leave it there. Paul Reid, thank you for your thank time, you. as always. Now, after the break, pressure mounts on government for clarity over calculated grade errors and how students will be impacted. Plus, what will the political fallout be? We're joined now in studio by Fina Foyle Senator Timmy Dooley and Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly and on Skype by Labour leader Alan Kelly. Good evening to you, Alan. Uh, you raised the question today in the doll because students had come to you to say they had real difficulty getting any answers on their appeals process. And from that, we heard that there was this error in this grading process. Do you accept that it was an error, that it was a coding error? error and that it is now being dealt with. I raised the issue because my colleague, Aonor Reardon, had come to me with a whole range of cases, which some of which I knew about myself, and he wasn't getting any traction in the department. And, you know, on further investigation, we knew there was something up. So I, I raised the question in the doll uh, because of that. And it turns out that obviously the government knew about this for over a week. Um, but they hadn't told anyone. They hadn't briefed anyone. They spoke so long about everybody working together to ensure that leaving cert got through and everything, but they didn't actually feel the need to consult with all the patrons, uh, the unions, or indeed the spokespeople. Um, so, you know, to, to actually treat people like that, firstly, was wrong. In relation to what has happened, um, we now have a situation tonight, Kira, where over 7,500 students don't actually know where their future lies as regards college. Um, some students um, are going to bed tonight. They don't know if they will be going into their first choice, second choice, third choice. Uh, they may have taken their fourth choice and really didn't want it. Uh, this is an absolute shambles. The way in which we are treating our young people and the people who did their leaving sort of 2020 is a disgrace. And ultimately here, the government are going to have to find places for those who missed out. Uh, the idea that some were treated in this way and will not get their preferred college place is not acceptable. 
And we also need to find out what exactly happened. I, for one, don't buy this coding argument. Um, the idea that a system was built and that they couldn't actually get the algorithms right. It's a fairly simple process, actually. It's not that complicated. The reality here is somebody messed up on the most important exam in people's lives. They didn't actually test the whole uh, program right. They didn't test out what they were rolling out. And as a result, we didn't have one error. We had two errors. Um, and it's completely omni-shambles at this stage. And you know the way in which we talk an awful lot now in the COVID world, uh, especially over the last number of months, about young people. And I believe that they've been treated you know, not very well in some cases. But here's an ex example of where the young people of Ireland have been totally and utterly let down. And you know, my heart goes out to the 7,500 or more. We don't actually know no, we who are going know. to be affected by this. And have you questions days. too about the whole, I suppose, credibility of this process? We know that 6,500, you know, got grades lower than they should have, but we also know that there was a number who got inflated grades that they shouldn't have, which may you know, have presented difficulties for other students as well. That seems to be sort of lost in all of this. Have you any understanding how many got the wrong grades, got inflated grades? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But obviously, there's a significant manner from the small bits we're getting from the department and from uh, the minister. Indeed, I got from the Taoiseach today. There are a significant number. And that means that, unfortunately, uh, there are students tonight who could be in their third level course who are not in their third level course because some other students are there. Now, that's not their fault either. Uh, they have a contract now with the third level institution, and that will have to be honored. But my heart goes out to those who missed out. Uh, there are uh, young people who are in touch with me today who are sitting, resetting their leave insert the whole year. But now they actually could have got their college place. We don't know. So the volume of people affected, uh, you know, it's incredible. Families across this country tonight, family networks, don't know how their uh, loved one or their cousin or their brother or sister actually got on in their leave insert. And this all goes back. There's a consistency here, which Michal Martin really needs to think about. Uh, because it was his actual spokesperson who pressed 
for uh, this process in the first place. And then right. we, we opposed it in the Labour Party. Okay. We felt that the Labour Party could go ahead. However, and then it follows all the way through to the situation with profiling and now this. All right. It's been an okay. omnish. Alan Kelly, I'm sorry to cut across you. Um, we just need to leave it there because I just want to get to my panel here in studio. Uh, starting with you, Timmy Dooley. First of all, I mean, we've heard shambles, cock up this evening. This is a huge mess for this government. This is a really difficult issue for the students, not so much the government. And I think we've got to be careful in the language that we use. There's a, a very significant problem that has been identified and the government are working to resolve that. And I think it would ill behove any of us from a political perspective to add fuel to the fire that's already there and undermine the confidence of the students that are affected. Uh, I think they're under enormous pressure. They have come through a really difficult period of time. Well, if we and so, so I think we, we, we let's have, me, let's, sorry, have a, the let's have an honest and open debate and yeah. let's work our way through it logically rather than adding to the, the kind of verbiage that Deputy Kelly has gone on about Omnisham. We can throw out all these things. We can have that hyper-political debate. It's not going to assist the students involved one iota. Well, if it is all about the students and we want to assist the students at this point, then before your government made this announcement today, would they not have been able to identify the time by which the students would get an answer? Because at the moment, all we know is students will get mm. a text at some stage. Mm. So every single Leaving Cert student this evening is waiting to see, will I get the text or will I not? And your government today couldn't even tell them when that text is no, coming. I, That's not putting the students first. I, I fully understand that. I've spoken to a lot of parents and I have first-hand experience of it myself, so I know what students are going through. The minister had scheduled a press conference for four o'clock today. Before Deputy Kelly raised this in the Dáil, there's a suggestion almost circulating that this was some great insight that he had and managed to raise it in the Dáil, and that the government only responded when they heard that. That's not the case. Uh, the minister and the department have been working through this over the last number of days and the decision was taken to bring that information today when there was some certainty and the certainty was there in relation to what the issues were, uh, what the, the errors in the code were and how many students were involved. There's now a process underway by an external international auditor to go back over all of this to ensure that the checking that has already been done stands up to scrutiny. And that's the right time to do it. There, no, there was no point going out with this information at a point where you were only going to add to Louise, more uncertainty. They've had this information. Your eyes well, over I was. There. I was. And do you know what? Uh, when, when Timmy says he wants an honest and an open debate, you have to start with sharing the information that you have. So, as ever, this information has to be dragged out of the government line by line. It gets strip fed into the media. We'll get a little bit here, a little bit there. Meanwhile, there are thousands of students at home home who are desperately awaiting this text. Will they get it? Will they not? So Timmy says things like, this happened. These things don't just happen. They are caused on the watch of your government. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Green Party in government are letting down these students. You can't sit here, Timmy, and simply fold your arms and say, oh, this happened and it's somebody else's fault. It is no. the fault of your government and your minister and that is where the book must stop. So if you want to have an honest and an open debate, and I'm absolutely in favour of that, well, then you should start by sharing the information when you have it. That didn't happen. We know now that the minister knew, her department knew on Tuesday. On Wednesday, she informed the Taoiseach at this no stage. Tuesday, they, last Tuesday last, week. Last Tuesday week, sorry, yes. It's, a, it's quite a long time ago now. Uh, it's about, uh, what, maybe four um, cock-ups and three scandals ago uh, in terms of this government. So we know that they knew on Tuesday. The cabinet weren't told 
for a full week. But more importantly, and Timmy is right, put the students first. The students weren't told. They weren't given an inkling. So the press conference was arranged today. They don't have a full set of information. The minister simply took to a podium and said, hang on there, a text might be coming or it might not. In the meantime, you have parents who have paid for accommodation for students who have gone to university. They were then told their uh, learning is now going online. They, are they going to be able to recoup that, Timmy? Are you going to be able to refund that money to them? They're out of pocket significantly when their kids could be at home, the learners could be at home and they didn't necessarily yeah. need to go. What are you going to do, yeah. well, Timmy, the, for those the, students? The, the, the first thing that has to happen is for all the information to be made available, for the audit to be completed and established how many students will ultimately have a changed outcome, who will have a different place, a place presented to them through the CAO process. So that work is underway. And as soon as it's ready, that well, information they will be have made a place available. presented to them under the CAO process, because we have universities coming out this evening saying our courses are full, there is no extra capacity. And, 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 and I understand that. And, and I've spoken to parents today and I've spoken to students and I fully get that. And the government gets that. But until such time as there's a full understanding of how many are involved, what places are involved, then you're, you don't expect to get a response until that work is completed. And my understanding from the Minister is that that work will be completed as quickly as possible and certainty will be given to students. And it, happens, it does happen every year. Sinn Féin have been flagging this for months now. There, there were problems, there were always going to be problems with the calculated grade system. There needed to be additional places made available in university and, and in colleges and third level was. to ensure that every person that wanted, that every learner that wanted, that, that every happen. applicant... No, no, it hasn't happened because there are learners now who may not. We, we hear from the, the Minister for Higher Education that potentially a thousand places are going to be added. So additional places are needed. They're the places that Sinn Féin were calling for to be put in place back in April. You know, th this, this, is, it's not, this is not something that has happened by accident. But with respect, you cannot make places available, Louise, and you know this. You can't make places available until you know how moment. many are needed in the first instance. So and let's get real, let's get the information and then criticise us on the response that we give when we know There's all no the need facts. There's only to shout me down, Timmy. Well, Our not. spokesperson, Donica O'Leary, has made it absolutely clear what we wanted to see happen. The calculated grade system was always going to be problematic. He had made suggestions to Minister Joe McHugh. He has engaged intensively with Minister Norma Foley, but it's very, very tough on the students and they're and finding out now partial information and they need to Timmy, have a full set of information. Did the government know about this prior to those round two, the CEO round two offers going out to students. Yes. And if they did, should they not have paused that process? Because it was about two and a half thousand offers went out. That's two and a half thousand pupils who may have taken up places, who may have found accommodation, who may have paid fees, you know, yeah. discombobulated their lives to take up those places. And your government knew at that point but that there was an error in the system. Should they not have put their hands up there last Wednesday before the CEO two rounds went out and said, whoa, we need to stop here. Well, I think until such time as a detailed examination was done as to the impact uh, of the two errors, because don't forget, one of the errors was found on late on Tuesday night. My understanding was that the second error was found by the department on Friday. So until such time as there was a complete trawl through done and a full analysis done of the impact of those errors on the overall system, it wasn't possible uh, to make that determination. So round three is going ahead tomorrow, as I understand it. Uh, and then... So when the third round is going to go out tomorrow, so, notwithstanding yeah, yeah, the fact the, that this system has a real issue with the it. Universities, when, when the, 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 text, the, the universities and the CAO have... Because it is the CAO office's responsibility for that, and they're proceeding with that. And Louise asks, you know, the obvious question, when? 
when the information is available, when the analysis is done. I mean, it might suit you, Louise, for the government to rush to judgment and issue half the information and give a date and then to have an, and, and to give an un, and, proposals that we made. And to create an expectation it would suit the in the students mind. if they had that yeah. information. And it might suit so this you. is not personal to me, and it's not personal to you. This is about young learners yes. who have been through a huge yes. amount. Louise, they deserve a little bit more. Louise, who do you think this is Can I finish this? Because this is really important. What's really important is that if the government give a date that they know they can reach that date, there's no point telling students today that it will All be right. Friday. OK, Tony, you've made that point. I just want to go to Louise. Really important, who do we you must think, respect the students. Who do you think should be held accountable here? Well, we need to know exactly what happened. We need to know the sequence of events. And clearly, uh, there was information that was available to the Minister for Education that she shared with the Taoiseach that was not shared with the Cabinet. So there is a, a serious issue with regard to sharing information and being, and Timmy said it, honest and open. They're not being honest. They're not being open. And they're letting the students down. And let's bear in mind, these are people who have been through a huge amount already. They've sacrificed an awful lot and they are being treated disgracefully. And I well, go back to March and April when she in vain were making constructive okay. suggestions about yeah, this Louise and they will, were ignored. Louise will have plenty of opportunities and her colleagues in Sinn Féin will have plenty of opportunities to go into the Education Committee, to go into the Dáil and trawl through who knew what when. The really important issue now though, and this is what the government is focused on, is getting to the bottom of this, understanding what students are affected, Isn't getting, getting, getting the corrected results the out to them and getting them, into the appropriate, getting them into the appropriate course in college. Because that's what it's about. We can have the political argument and we'll go through that again and we can joust about Timmy, me, how dam damaging is students. this? I mean, there has been multiple questions about the ability of Fianna Fáil to govern in this government. How th this needed to be a goal for you guys, and it was, and you were lauded for the fact that this Leaving Cert uh, calculated grading system seemed to be a success. Now it absolutely isn't well, now, a success. How damaging well, is well, this, now, Timmy, honestly? I'm certainly not going to suggest that Fianna Fáil or the government are the victims here. So we can leave and have that discussion another day. It's but you're really damaged important. out of this. Look, at it's an issue. I mean, when you're in government, problems arise. You should be measured on how you handle the problems and how you resolve them, rather than sort of crying some kind of crocodile tears and saying, oh, woe is me. The issue here relates to the students. We've got to find a solution for oh, them. I have every confidence in the okay. minister and the department to you do that. You should be measured that's by whether or not that's, that's, you that's, caused that's, the problems that's, that's in the first place, to Jimmy. Let's be All honest. Right. You're going to have to leave it there, folks. You know that. students' lives. Nah, and that's, we've come nah, to expect that from you. We're going to have to leave it there. The panel are, thankfully, staying with us. And after the break, are we facing into a jobs crisis? Well, Irish rugby legend Tommy Bowe has been travelling across the country as part of a new documentary meeting businesses that are adapting to the new normal. Take a look. It's a tough time to be in business at the moment. Welcome to Canada. What a part of the world. I have to get the true stories of the businesses on the ground. How are we going to get through this? We're really relying on locals, which have been fantastic to us. It's great to see businesses back open. You have to be positive and keep yeah. going. We just don't know where it ends. They're being pushed out to sea. They'll be going online. Digital and online is just a reality. But I worry. That is, that is the real world. Welcome back. We're joined now by former Irish rugby international and business owner, Tommy Bow. Tommy, good evening to you. You've been travelling around the country for a documentary, meeting businesses, seeing how they are coping with all of the uncertainty. What did you learn? Yeah, it's been really incredible, Kira. Um, 
as you know, that I'm a part of a business, uh, a clothing and footwear business for the last 10 years. And my job since retiring from rugby has been to try and get to really know the business, to get out and visit as many shops as I could over the last two years. And we're in over 200 shops all over the country. But since the lockdown happened, there was so much fear out there and panic. And people were worried what they were going to do for those three months worth of stock and didn't know what to do. And I tried to talk to um, Retail Excellence Ireland. I spoke to Heather Humphreys about trying to help these shops. And I was getting a little bit of help there, but really I thought, why not try and make some sort of documentary and highlight how businesses are coping with life after lockdown. So yes, we traveled all over the country from up your neck of the woods, Letterkenny to Cork to Galway, Tipperary, Dublin, everywhere. And yeah, found some really interesting stories. So how were some of those businesses adapting to the ever-changing environment that is COVID-19? You know, it was really interesting. Some businesses, as we've seen in the papers, we saw Pascal Dunhu talk about some the pharmaceuticals and some businesses have been going really well. And actually, a lot of the shops on the high street have really benefited from people staycationing, from people staying local and shopping local. There's been a real focus on that and it's really helped. But also there's a huge amount of stores that are down 60%, 80%, 90%, 95% and really are struggling. I don't know where, you know, how they're going to cope. And if, if they have another bad winter, if there's another lockdown, there's a huge amount of fear out there. So many have had to adapt in order to, to thrive and to, to get by in these times. I, I, a uh, homeware shop up in Letterkenny, La Maison, they had a small interior decorator side of their business and they realised that with people at home, there was a huge need to want to improve their houses. So they refitted their whole shop all into turning into an interior design studio and then set up online interior design classes as well. So, so many businesses have had to adapt and, and really the way to thrive in this time or to even try and get by, get by is to adapt and change. And, and we've seen that all over the country. Uh, Tommy, as part of this documentary, where, as I said, you did go out and meet businesses and see how they're coping with this new normal, you met the Tanishta. What did he have to say? What promises did he make to help these businesses succeed? Yeah, it was really interesting. After speaking to so many people, I spoke to Grogan's Pub in Dublin, who still aren't open. I spoke to uh, Connemara Smokehouse way out in west of Ireland who are really struggling and I felt it was my duty to try and go in to talk to Leo Varadkar and really put forward their case and, and try to get, get a clear direction of where where the light is at the end of the tunnel. And and we had a bit of a tete-a-tete, -a -tete, to be fair. I, I tried to give him as, as good as I could whether it uh, whether it was good enough, I think he's pretty used to getting uh, plenty of questions thrown at him. But I came out of it pretty happy, and I think that in the documentary people will see that. Um, but there's a huge amount that can still be done to improve, and, and there's a huge amount more. I feel that this is just really the start of what I'm trying to do. I think there's a lot more work to be done. All right, we leave it there, Tommy. It's way past your bedtime. I know you've an early start is. these days, so I'll let you go. Thanks as always, Tommy. Thank you, Kira. Cheers. Good to chat to you. And Ireland's New Normal with Tommy Bow airs next Tuesday night at 9pm here on Virgin Media One. Look, we're all 
lamenting there the closure of uh, Grogan's for the last number of months. Mm -hmm. I think we all have enjoyed it at some stage, but <laughs> on a very serious note uh, to me, uh, Tommy's mentioning their businesses down 60 80, 90, 95% turnover. It is hard to see how they're going to survive. And he said won't potentially survive uh, further restrictions, further lockdowns. Is it too blunt a measure? Do we need to start at looking at more localised lockdowns so that you know, businesses in Bandon aren't affected and closed because there's a surge of cases in Cork City. Yeah, it's a very difficult issue. The county of Clare, where I come from, I mean, I've seen it just weddings cancelled. Uh, where there was a little bit of staycation was a help, uh, but we would we would benefit a lot from the American tourism. A lot of the shops and the hotels and the guest houses, both around Shannon Ennis and back into Kilrush and up into Ennis Time and places like that, they're, they're, they're decimated. Um, some of those won't survive. There's no doubt about that. I think what we have to do, though, and you're right, we do have to start learning to live with COVID and, and I'm taken to some extent by what your earlier guest Paul Reid and others have been saying there's no short term end in sight here so we're going to have to try to get businesses that can survive back and up and running we're going to have to try and present them with as much support as but we can Just back to that specific point uh, that people have made that the the level 3 the level 4 lockdowns they're too blunt they're county wide and if this is going to be something we're living with long term if we want businesses to survive then we need to perhaps be a little bit more nuanced in our approach I think maybe nuanced in terms of of, of the elements of it I think the county base probably works because people tend to move it's not always the case because there are some counties like where I come from in Clare Killaloo and Ballina are side by side so it, it, it's it's a hard one in a case like that. But I think the countywide is a good model. I think what we have to be really careful about is what it is within those various different bands that we close and not close. I mean, I know that all the, the, the pubs and effectively any indoor dining now in Dublin at the moment. So could uh, is we potentially closed. then look at altering? What's within those levels, if we're to look well, at this I, long term? If this is going to go on long term, I think we'll have to. There's some certainty there in the models at the moment. And I think that's important to give people certainty and give businesses certainty. But we also have to look to try to restarting the economy, assisted in whatever way we can. And the government is doing that and will continue to do it. But I think we still need to get people out and circulating. And it's good. Uh, for their mental health Louise, as well. you're a dub. Um, you're in and around the city centre, I'd imagine, you know, on a fairly regular basis. You said earlier this week, it is on its knees. It's on its knees. Businesses have been absolutely decimated. And I think that, you know, what we need to be, uh, what the government need to do is, number one, engage uh, with the sector. I, I've been engaging with Ismail Ibeck the last couple of weeks and also with, with uh, traders and uh, business people in my own community and in town. And what they're saying is they want to have more detailed engagement with uh, with government. And I think that's important. But also government need to realise that they have to be agile in their response. There has to be sector specific responses. Not everybody is experiencing, not every business is experiencing this the same. There are some who are going to do well, but there are others who have been shut because of a public health emergency, not because they're not, not viable. They were shut because of a public health emergency. So they need to support that that will be dedicated to that and sector. What sectors are they? So tourism and hospitality, obviously, is the is the huge one. I mean, we saw when, when Dublin moved into level three and a half, I mean, they couldn't even get that. But anyway, when we moved into level three and a half in Dublin, 
50,000 jobs were on the line. That's 50,000 people who were facing a very uncertain future. The same day that that, uh, more or less the same day that that was announced, we see a cut from 350 uh, to 300 for the pandemic unemployment payment. But that payment is, it is local to people. It is spent locally. And it that's money that will be in circulation in the local economy. These are people the who cannot... They may be looking at that uh, in the budget. Well, again, the you see that that's mixed messages for people. You know, if you've had your your, your pay cut from three fifty to three hundred, you're looking at this and you're thinking, will they? Won't they? Can I plan? You can't plan on the basis of that. And let's not forget. Mm-hmm. So, and do you think that is? You sorry, know, Louise, the five hundred and sixty-eight is the average earnings. So I don't. I don't the, go, the government has to try to, to to manage its resources to the greatest extent possible. There's a massive amount of money put in, and there, it will continue. It's now going to continue up into a- April of next year. Um, obviously, the budget does give an opportunity for review. There isn't an endless pot of money out there. Uh, and insofar as the government can, it has to assist people to get through this and also support businesses who are also clinging on with, 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 with dear life uh, to try and maintain a level of economic activity uh, as, you know, COVID has got under control in certain areas. But jobs uh, the, need the to be supported as well, Tim. The reality is that the jobs are being supported. There's a lot of workers who have, wage have subsidy had their wages going cut. In. No, I accept that, but there's a temporary wage subsidy scheme there. There's an effort being made to try to retain the temporary wage employees within the various different uh, sectors and we've got to continue to do that and, and the, the pub payment and we uh, is going to continue. We today saying that the employment wage subsidy scheme didn't work because people were actually going to get more on the pandemic unemployment payment and there's a huge anomaly yeah, but there. Were, uh, yeah, but the anomalies weren't the, addressed when they were, when Pierce Doherty yeah, and myself were call, yeah, talking about this, they didn't address the anomalies. The, the, we have the, to leave the, it there, the folks. The issue was uh, to get to money to people very quickly. Riley and all of our guests, thank you for your time. As always, Matt will be back tomorrow at 10. Until then, thank you for watching. As always, good night. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.